0: If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host Julia Jones. hello and welcome to newborn mothers podcast today on the show we've got Roshni who is I don't even know how to describe you you do Ayurveda, you do grief you do art um, it's such a beautiful combination of skills so I might actually just leave it to you <laughs> to explain what it is that you do
1: <laughs> yeah um, yeah I've struggled with like what to call myself you know I'm a, a postpartum doula a nurse um, a, you know a Cooking teacher, herbalist, but um, I call myself a grief artist. Really, I think that's what really grounds me. And that's where all my sort of offerings and my work, you know, springs out of. Um, I think growing up, I realized that was such a constant in my life, just witnessing, you know, Uh, ancestral grief. And that really, I think, inspired me to become a nurse to be there for others and to serve others. It was such a, it felt like that's the most natural thing I could do. And then when I was a nurse, I saw, you know, the healthcare system, at least in the United States, did not look anything like caring or health promoting. And that's where I started getting interested in Ayurveda and herbalism and really tying in ancestral nourishing practices. And when I was working as an end-of-life nurse, I realized, you know, what's really important is how we're born and what our early childhood is like and how we nourish ourselves, you know, during the early part of our life. So I feel like my life is sort of, you know, coming full circle in that sense of it's been a journey of starting from one place to now tying all of these things together
0: yeah that's beautiful and you you have quite an interesting um personal journey having lived on three different continents so can you tell us a little bit about kind of where you came from and how you got here
1: yeah i grew up in south india and my family is actually um, in Maharashtra, they were silksari weavers. And we actually don't know where they came from, but they sort of traveled south. And I was born there. And around 13, my dad just said, we're, we're moving to California. You know, I had no idea what that meant. And I grew up in Fremont, just outside of San Francisco, and lived there and, you know, studied in New York, worked in LA. So I was sort of all over the place. And even spent six months in New Zealand visiting and working on a farm um, with my husband's family. But last year, um, after 12 years working as a nurse, and I was working in palliative care, and that experience really opened my eyes to what's, you know, most important in life. Wh- why, why we do the things we do? Like, why do we work? What's the purpose? And what is our, really our soul's purpose, you know, on this journey and really thinking about the fragility of life. And um, my patients would just, you know, give me these like pearls of wisdom every time I would talk to them. And it would just feel like they were, you know, looking directly at me and telling, you know, don't wait till you're retired. Or I, I see the sparkle of an idea, you know, you should live your dreams right now. So it just felt like I couldn't, avoid that anymore. And I didn't even know there was a pandemic coming. So I, I had this dream of wanting to live abroad. And Barcelona just made sense. And I really wanted to study Ayurveda and really digest, you know, this first part of my life and think about how I wanted to live my life going forward. So I feel like it all kind of coincided and um, has turned out to be really well so far, luckily. Yeah. Mm.
0: yeah, that's a beautiful story. And I'm interested how you've come full circle back to Ayurveda as well. And I imagine, you know, you and I have chatted a little bit about how a lot of the teachers in this space are men. A lot of them are white. How, do you, how have you found some more diverse voices and, and learned some different perspectives? And, and how has that been healing to you personally as well as an Indian woman living in, in another part of the world?
1: You know, growing up, we didn't really grow up with a sense of we're practicing Ayurveda. It just seemed natural. We ate a lot of, you know, digestive spices. My grandmother would make kashayam, you know, ginger, turmeric, fennel, tea, you know, if we were in pain, my mom would make all these, you know, liniments and herbs. And it was, it was just, it was culture. You know, Ayurveda was just d- daily culture. We didn't have to call it something specific. And it was around 25 when I was getting really sick from just working as a nurse and being very far away in my own life of how I was living day to day. And that's when I really retreated and wanted to be taken care of in an Ayurveda cleanse. And I went to Kerala in South India. And that was the first time I experienced it from a very Indian point of view. And when I came back and started getting interested and learning, I realized Ayurveda in the West and, you know, most schools of thought had a very sort of rigid disciplinarian point of view. It just felt like I had to learn a lot of rules and I had to fit into, you know, very much like the categories predetermined. And for me, that was really disconnecting because that didn't resonate with me. So I just started looking for teachers. For me, it felt very important to learn from a female Indian teacher um in a way to me that is you know that i the seed of what ayurveda is is this deep nourishing all-encompassing warm nurturing presence and ayurveda is really forgiving you know just like a mother's care would be that they're not judging you if you're you know not gargling in the morning or eating something that's not good for your dosha that it's, it's a very wise, you know, they kind of look at you and go, you know, you're making, you know, not the best choices, but I still love you and hold you. <laughs> so, I love it. So like you're, teacher. just
0: like you're saying your grandmother would make you tea, you know, this, this is what I better should really feel like.
1: <laughs> yes. Just like this grandmother's embrace that you may make, you know, choices that may not be good for you, but you're held. You're not, you know sort of like left out to dry and say you know uh, this very you know um, rigid sort of like you know you'll be punished for this with um, you know bad congestion or your vata will be deranged because you chose to do this
0: (laughs) deranged there are some really interesting translations of in in ayurvedic texts aren't there oh my god when i read that i
1: guess (laughs) I get so scared <laughs> so I tend not to read a lot of Ayurveda textbooks. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm very much, you know, I, I try to, I feel like I experiment a lot on myself and see how I feel. And I, I think a lot about words, images. So a lot of my artwork is really a response of Ayurveda and thinking about, you know, the qualities and hardness, softness, you know, cloudiness. All of that, and what practices can I do to find clarity and nourishment? I think that's what I'm seeking. It's not, you know, perfect health. I, I don't think about perfect health. It's can I practice my art? Does my voice feel clear? Do I feel grounded? You know, how does my sleep feel? How are my emotions? Those are the things I'm going by. Um,
0: yeah, I love it. So we're kind of rejecting this Western um, sort of white supremacist t- a version of health where we're like biohacking and trying to be perfect and there's like superfoods and miracle cures, but much more looking for a version of health that means we can be um, of service in the world, that we can express ourselves and, and be loving and, and caring
1: and, and participate. Yeah, people talk a lot about, you know, disrupting and biohacking your way through health of its it almost sort of path of least resistance. So you can be very productive. It has a very capitalistic uh, overtone for me. You know that my body is really here to perform and produce, um, and really, it's not here to do any of that. It's you know energy in a human uh, shell having a human experience, and we're here to collectively heal, to, you know, expand our notion of wellness, and for us to really all be free, and that idea of liberation, and how do we do that? And Ayurveda is just a science, a science and an art for us to think about, you know, how could we be of service to most people as possible, and really thinking about the health of the universe, the health of the ecosystem, and, you know, immunity is such a big concept in Ayurveda. And I think the pandemic has shown it really takes one person. And we, you know, sort of create these um, shells, or really our palaces of, you know, our own personal uh, uh, domains. And you think about who's living across the world, and what is their immunity like, you know, do they have safety do they have the food they need do they have the herbs they need and really I think our immunity is connected to a person we don't know uh, to the most vulnerable person that may be across the world so I think that's where Ayurveda comes in is how can we expand this notion of health to as many people as possible. Yeah I love that that's so beautiful
0: Um, and I'm imagining food. For you and your work, that um, exploration of grief seems to be a big part of your your healing. So can you talk a little bit about the, the art and grief work that you do as
1: well? Yeah, my grief really stems from ancestral grief. I feel like I just inherited all of it and didn't know what it was about. And it just struck me from a very young age. And I realized it was my great-grandmother, my grandmother, and my mom, all three of them really being born under, you know, the pressures of colonization and patriarchy and really feeling like they couldn't live their big dreams. And when I came around, my mom had decided that, you know, I will be so successful, so well-educated. And I realized I was free, but there was a cost to my freedom, if I was really living for, you know, four generations of women who felt like they had very small caged lives almost, and there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, so I was carrying a lot of that grief, and I only realized in my 20s and 30s that it was having an impact on my body, on my spirit, and I found out, again, my family, they're, they're all silk sorry weavers. So, you know, they're deeply creative entrepreneurs, mm. <laughs> you know, who just created beauty to really amplify someone else's beauty in the community. And here I was thinking my life was about, you know, the sense of duty, responsibility, performance, production, and really I, I just needed to be an artist and be a an healer that way. So, the more I tapped into my ancestral, you know, blueprint of how they live their lives, um, that's when I started noticing there's just this heaviness lifting from my own body. And I realized no one's really talking about grief, especially in the postpartum world at all. You know, it it has this such a rosy quality. It's like, oh, you're a new mother, everything's wonderful. But I realized, you know, from my own miscarriage experience and working with new mothers and bringing in that palliative care piece, that it is one of the most transformational moments in someone's life. And grief is a huge part of that, uh, part of that joy, you know, that they can really coexist. And that's where I wanted to work with people is how do you create rituals around grief? You know how do you nourish your grief you know what is your uh, grief craving so really bringing that soft quality and creating a cocoon for your grief and seeing you know i think grief has a lot of wisdom and how can we tap into it and almost rebirth from it and you know the next part of our life can be rooted in the in the beauty of the grief
0: Are you listening to this awesome interview with a postpartum professional and thinking that this might be your calling in life too? Do you believe postpartum care could be a respected, valued and well-paid profession, but feel frustrated and don't know where to start? Newborn Mothers Collective is online, worldwide postpartum training and professional development with over a thousand students from 40 different countries around the world. We value human rights, scientific evidence and diversity and we'd love you to join us at newbornmothers.com. That's so beautiful. I love it. Can you maybe give us some examples of, um, I I know you've got a postpartum ritual and you do some events and things like that. So can you tell us some examples of how you actually do this work?
1: Yeah, I've been uh, leading... Uh, events through this online festival called the reimagined festival it's a global festival around life death loss really celebration and mourning um, of life and in terms of rituals for me movement is really big that's where I feel I can express where my grief is and what my body's needing So I lead embodiment circles where we just move with music. We work with sound healing within our own body. And this was something I realized too, is our cultures have encoded, have given us how to deal with grief. And it's a lot of, you know, tapping, ritual, crying, breath work, all of that. So I incorporate all of that. And when I teach classes about food and nutrition. Again, it's not from a place of prescriptive eating, it's redefining, you know, there's a strong element of craving and grief. So I help people think about, you know, what are the nourishing foods of their ancestors? Again, not everyone should be eating kichri and dal and, you know, ginger tea. It's their foods that we all grew up with as part of our ancestral lineage. So I help people, you know, I I really think of myself as a guide and a duo and an artist helping people think about, you know, what are those recipes? What are those foods? And we all have the equivalent of, you know, ginger or cardamom or cinnamon. So it's not like you must eat the spice. It's what are the ways in which our families use these spices and uh, warming foods? You know, how did your grandma make the soup or stew for you? So I really help people kind of go back in time almost and connect with our ancestors and think where they are in their current day and make these connections.
0: How do you find that work is with people who are so disconnected from ancestors? You know, we live in such a diaspora now. A lot of people don't even know their own grandparents. You know, how do you help them to reconnect and and discover this?
1: That's such a great question. Um, And when I think of ancestral work, I think there's a lot of pain that comes up. And for a lot of people, there is such a disconnect. And I think that's why, at least from a white Western perspective, you see a lot of people, you know, diving into yoga, diving into Ayurveda, because you can almost escape, you know, the darkness, maybe that a lot of I, I don't know, European <laughs> folks may have of thinking, you know, their lineage and inheritance is one of a colonizer. And I, I do ask my friends a lot, like, what do you, what are you doing for it? You know? And I feel like it's so important thinking about, you know, what is your inheritance? and And it doesn't have to be all traumatic or tragic. I think of my own inheritance, It's a great loss, but then you look at it and they were also artists and creators. How do I sit with that? And, you know, we don't have to take on all of their, you know, tragedies and be defined by what they did. But I think it is important to acknowledge that because that is part of our story, too. So for me, I kind of tell people, you know, look back, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and really take in who they were, you know, what was their life defined by. And in that you can kind of find characters, you can find stories, and really connecting with that. And um, I actually found a book, you know, I was on Google Books, really searching about my family history. And it's really hard there. We don't have a lot of ancestral, you know, genealogical evidence, but there was a British guy who wrote a book about, you know, the tribes of Bombay. And he categorized uh, all these surnames based on, you know, their professions. And Devate, my um, dad's side of the family, they were just categorized or they are the lamp holders, and he had all these descriptions, and it was something like sandalwood dust, um, you know, um, dust of the god, salt, betel nut leaves, turmeric, cocoon, obstinate sails of the ship. And I just thought, wow, you know, here's a guy writing about essentially the caste system that kind of defines who you are, who you can be. It's, it's, it's a form of, you know, shackling <laughs> your destiny. But then there's all these words that also seemed magical and a way for me to, you know, incorporate into my own life and almost use it as a guide to the life I want to create. And I took that as, you know, Ayurveda and herbal medicine and art. So I think there there's a healing aspect that can come from it, no matter how tragic um, our past or our ancestors' work may have been.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. We kind of have to read between the lines a little bit because um, a lot of it just, you know, a lot of it just is not, we can't find out a lot of facts, Um, you know, it's so common now that people don't know a lot about their ancestry. Um, but, yeah, I think it can be really beautiful and and also very important to connect with, because I think this is why we end up um, with such a big problem with cultural appropriation, like you were saying, a lot of European ancestry women are attracted to things like yoga and Eastern mysticism and that kind of thing Buddhism because we 've lost touch with our own um, our own lineage you know like i 'm sure if we travel back far enough. Um, we would all have had postpartum care rituals. We would have all had healing herbs and, you know, sacred foods and all of this kind of stuff. Um, It's just buried a bit further back in history you know so yeah it's really important to explore that and I think like you were saying as well when people have a baby often this really does come up this grief it brings up the grief you know of the loss of identity and of who we were and that kind of thing but also the much bigger grief of you know who who are my grandmothers and my great great grandmothers and yeah and and all of the ancestral trauma and things that comes along with that. Thank you. That's really, really beautiful. Do you want to talk a little bit about how people, oh, no, I have one more question. I was going to, um, we'll, we'll get back to that. But I just want to ask you about your prana prismatic um, healing as well, because I, I think that's sort of the embodiment work that you were talking about. But can you tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about that as well? Because that just sounds so magical.
1: Yeah, I call it uh, massage for the soul, just the pure yumminess. <laughs> I think it was born out of I was craving touch for myself and um, not again like in Ayurveda, you have this like Abhyanga, which is, you know, kind of has this quality of like, you know, push out the toxins and put a lot of pressure. Um, I wanted this like sort of buttery, nourishing self care touch. So I created it uh, incorporating Abhyanga and Marma Point therapy. So that's, you know, has that deep like energetic, healing touch and also massage techniques and focusing mostly on the face, chest, throat. So I lead people through and teach folks first to start with a steam, And again, this is where you connect with your ancestral herbs. So when I work with clients, you know, not everyone does sulci and rose. So we work with rosemary, thyme, whatever herbs your family grew up with. And a lot of uh, folks have stories of, you know, growing sage, um, wonderful Mediterranean, European herbs, and my uh, Asian clients, you know, talk about guava leaf, so it's almost you're inviting your ancestors, and we use STEAM as a way to just awaken that, again, that memory, the healing power um, in our cells, so I lead them through a STEAM, and we do a face, guided face massage, and marma healing, and the idea is, you know, not detoxing or massage for, again, beauty or anti-aging or any of that. It's how do you transfer all this loving, caring, nourishing energy that exists within your fingertips and your hands, and we're really transferring it to ourselves. So it's a regenerative form of uh, embodiment practice I like to think about. And uh, it's my favorite. I do it on myself a couple of times
0: a day. And, and this is something you can teach people to do online. Yeah, they do it yeah, for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I felt that you know, especially with the pandemic, you know, we weren't touching ourselves, and um, this idea of a loving face massage just felt, you know, just so dreamy. And I guide people through it. And again, it's really important. You know, you can. It's important to get body work from others too. But again, this idea of empowerment that you can do it by yourself, on yourself, you know, and it could be a treat. You can do it on a family member or a loved one. Um, and again, bringing in that intergenerational quality to it. So, yeah, I love it so much. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, something that I teach a lot in postpartum is self-massage. For exactly that reason, a lot of women feel like they don't know their bodies anymore they might Mm -hmm. have really some negative thoughts towards their bodies they might feel let down by their bodies or like they're too fat or too ugly or they've got stretch marks or they bodies don't work because they couldn't breastfeed or they had a cesarean you know there's so many stories that we have about our bodies and often just that time spent nurturing and loving and touching yourself even if at first you don't like it you know so often people will begin and all these (laughs) thoughts will come up but you know just the very act of acting out that love even if you don't feeling it can make you eventually feel it you know
1: (laughs) yeah and i feel like our face is how we sort of interact with the world how we express ourselves in the world and there's so much uh emphasis i think at least for people who identify as women or femme of like your face should radiate, you know, with all these messages. And I thought, you know, let's reclaim that and take that back.
0: Yeah. 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 Fascinating. I love it. So, okay. That was my last question. (laughs) So where can people find out um, about you?
1: Well, I'm on Instagram, like everyone else. It's um, Instagram slash cardamom and tavathe. My website is uh, com. I'm on Facebook as well. And I love connecting with folks one-on-one. So, you know, they can send me a message. I You can book a free call with me from my website, just chatting about, you know, what's coming up for you. I lead um, rituals and guided circles. So I have one in January called Weaving Your Postpartum Cocoon. So kind of um, rooted in grief work, but bringing in Ayurveda rituals and nourishing practices to really create that, you know, sweet, beautiful cocoon to hold the grief as a community. So I have that starting in January, but otherwise I I do, yeah, the Prana Prismatic rituals um, and just one-on-one coaching.
0: Mm -hmm. fantastic thank you so much we'll pop the links up in the um show notes so if anyone wants to click through and find out more they can but thank you so much for being here it's been a really beautiful discussion
1: yeah thank you for having me yeah it's such a pleasure to talk about all the things that I feel like we're just you know I feel I sometimes I feel nerdy and I love that that you share that same interest
0: oh absolutely there are so many topics there before we started we realized we could probably record 10 podcasts because I'm like we could do a whole podcast just about that one thing
1: (laughs) so no let's let's keep
0: keep geeking out together and um yeah (laughs) thank you yeah
1: yeah thank you so much
0: Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high-quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.